Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. Keep it up, Gavin. We'll have a wardrobe malfunction right here in this studio. Yes. The following podcast contains... Smooth, lascivious, salacious, outrageous. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you got upset because you maybe sort of almost thought you saw nipple for like half a second, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 437, The Nip Slip Seen Around the World. And we're not talking about that time that people lost their damn minds over some titty. Stay tuned. Be- what the hell we think in podcast is brought to you by Penny's Pasties. We may need them not to be seen. Pop on a Penny's. Let's face it, not all of us are Jennifer Aniston going through life all perky. Some of us need a little protection, be it for exercise or just prudish co-workers. So avoid the controversy with Penny's Pasties. Our latex-free hypoallergenic easy peel nipple pasty covers conceal and protect in any environment. So if you need a little extra coverage, be running a marathon or performing at a major sporting event halftime show, keep them covered by putting on a penny pasty. Today's the day Janet Jackson's halftime performance went down in history. Nipplegate turns 12. Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake stole the show with the nip slip scene round the world. JT ripped off a little too much of Miss Jackson's outfit, revealing her bare breast to over 143 million viewers. Janet's rep called the incident, uh, say it with us, wardrobe malfunction. The uh, halftime entertainment, which we found offensive, embarrassing to us and our fans, and inappropriate. The singer's team tried to deal with the PR nightmare. We have no interviews. Nipplegate! One of the things people under, say, I don't know, 40 don't really understand. Grandpa. Tell me about the good old days. Is the struggle we young lads endured before the internet to satisfy our curiosity vis-a-vis the female anatomy? Oh, to be sure, we had our fair Fosse posters, which were effectively a primer. You got the overall gist of the female form, but the specifics were left largely to our imaginations, our dirty, filthy imaginations. For detailed information, you were left with a few avenues of education. First of all, was someone's parents having paid cable so that we could... Resorting to Skinamaxi. Which reliably ran softcore quasi-porn after midnight. No JJ, no peen, but you could reliably see a little titty. If you didn't have paid cable, you might be able to catch a brief glimpse of something that might have been boobies if you stared hard enough into the scrambled signal. I see scrambled boobs. For more detailed information, there was literature. At least one of your friend's dad had a Playboy lying around the house, but Playboy was considered a little better than the fair poster. For solid information, you needed something like... Hustler, penthouse, barely legal. I mean, if you didn't see at least one chick taking a piss, were you even really looking at porn? 
pearl fucking necklace, golden showers. None of this prepared you for the, in the least for the reality of finally getting a little boob action. My first time, high school, photography class, darkroom. I'm not sure who thought it was a good idea to give teenagers access to a room with nothing but red lights and locks on the inside of the door because it was tailor-made for adolescent exploration. I'm up all night to get lucky. So my friend and I, who were uh, hard at work. Really, Dave? Developing prints for a yearbook layout and listening to some violent films. And she asked me to come over, to come over and take a look at her proof sheet. And I leaned down with my loop viewer and she slid underneath my arm so she could show me which one exposure she was looking at and then pressed back hard into me with her butt. And all of a sudden, There was intense grinding, kissing, groping, hands were going places that a young lad could only dream of going, and they might have gone further. I mean, we were behind a locked door with the red light on the outside, instructing all and sundry that there were serious photography professionals doing serious photography things. But uh, our photography teacher started banging on the door, demanding, What's going on in there? Because apparently the two of us had accidentally slammed up against the light switch for the red light on the outside of the dark room and it was blinking like a, the warning light on a tank filled with fluid that's about to rupture and spill all over in a sticky mess that would take a long time to clean up. So, you know, that's about as far as it went for my first time seeing and touching a real breast. Why did I just tell you that? Well, first of all, it's a great story. And second, to help you understand that people get worked up over the thought of seeing and touching boobies. And because the topic for this week is how 20 years ago, America lost their goddamn minds because they saw some titty. I'm, of course, referring to the incident 20 years ago this year and roughly around the same time, the episode post, where Justin Timberlake and Janet Jackson were performing at the Superb Owl halftime show. Remember, no killing at this Superb Owl party. And Justin just ripped off Janet's bra, bustier, boob shield, whatever the fuck it was, and for like... Half a second, America thought they saw her titty. They didn't, not really, but that doesn't matter. This is usually the point of the show where I start talking about some shit like the history of the Super Bowl, but I'm not going to do that. Oh, oh, thank God. Instead, I'm going to do the history hit on the Super Bowl halftime show. Thanks, I guess. Throughout the history of football games, there has been the traditional pause mid-game where the players can rest and the band geeks can do more than plan their post-game orgy. What is the horniest, most perverted thing? Forget the football players. You want to fucking fuck well? Attend the band post-game party. And for most of football, halftime was just when the band took the field and tooted their horns, but football went professional, and then the league began to strategize on how... How can I possibly make even more money? By getting the viewers who usually spent halftime take doing things like, I don't know, taking a long piss. Oh, yeah. Oh. Ah. Oh, man. 
man. Oh man. Oh man. Oh, oh, oh no. Oh man. idea how badly I just wanted to play the entire two minutes and 15 seconds of this Adam Sandler bit. But I thought it might be a little much for you guys. You see, the league decided they needed to make it this, this halftime thing a spectacle. So they started to invite bigger and bigger stars to perform between the ubiquitous commercials, which were the only thing that the people who didn't give a shit about football were there to see in the fucking first place. Quoting now from the USA Today, quote, but in time, the midway point of the NFL's championship game has emerged into one of sports' biggest spectacles with superstar performances from Michael Jackson, Beyonce, Madonna, Aerosmith, and U2. The halftime performance has come a long way, said the Hall of Fame quarterback who played 17 seasons with the Miami Dolphins. That would be, I don't know, I should really put that in there, but fuck, what's that guy's name? Dan Marino! Dan Marino! You know what, Gavin? Leave that in. Back to USA Today. In nearly six de decades, the halftime festivities have transformed from family-oriented show with patriotic tunes into entertainment's big stage with his top-tier performers, pyrotechnics, and superb backup dancers. The 12- to 15-minute performance sometimes attracts more eyeballs than the actual championship game, consistently drawing more than 100 million viewers. After the inaugural Super Bowl, the NFL kept bringing back other marching bands, drill teams, and signed Chubby Chubby Checker and Up With People, an organization that stages positive thinking through dance and song performances. I wish I had time to explain adequately Up With People and the cloyingly fucking sweet, over-the-top, wholesomeness of you know what i'll just do an episode on it however none of those acts were considered huge draws but as the super bowl's popularity soared and game day emerged as an unofficial holiday in the u.s the nfl wanted the halftime show to grow in the same capacity so the league stepped stepped up and tapped new kids on the block and gloria stefan for the first two years of the 90s then it saw a huge breakthrough when Michael Jackson headlined the show in 1993 at the Rose Bowl in Southern California, where the king of pop moonwalked his way across the stage and performed his hits, including Billie Jean's Black and White and Heal the World. And as the number of bowls grew higher, so did the amount of hype surrounding the performers. There were truly memorable performances. Prince's rain-soaked Purple Rain in 2007 is heralded as the best performance in the history of the event. But it's another moment a few years earlier that it considered both the best and worst moment of the moment depending on who you were asking. I am, of course, talking about Super Bowl 38, Patriots versus Panthers, on February 1st, 2004, unquote. You gotta keep in mind where America was at in 2004. It was three years after 9-11 and a year into George W. Bush's shit doggle in Iraq. It was abundantly clear that not only had we not decisively won, despite what W. told us on the deck of that aircraft carrier, but things were turning into a long and grinding war. Who could have seen this coming? Literally anyone. So the National Football League really needed to turn up all into distractions for the big game. So a lot of people got out there. I waved the American flag. And there were flyovers by all sorts of jet planes and big name stars for the halftime show. So the stars of the AOL Top Speed halftime show was announced. Yeah, 
AOL was the sponsor. I used AOL to surf the web. Because AOL was still a big thing in 2004, you just don't remember it. And if you want to know more, take a listen to episode 395, America Anthropocene. That's, uh, that's a plug. They began with the obligatory marching bands. The idea was to have a historically black college marching band open the show. Because, you know, that's going to be some good shit. But somewhere along the line, white people got involved. Fucking white people. And Texas Southern's Ocean of Soul marching band, a good marching band, wound up sharing the field with the University of Houston's Lilla Wafer. I'm sorry Gavin has informed me that the University of Houston uh, marching band name is actually the Spirit of Houston, which if you have ever been to Houston is pretty Caucasians. And then Janet finally took the stage. It's Janet, Miss Jackson if you're nasty. The editorial stance of this podcast has always been that of all the Jackson, Janet was the best. First, and perhaps most importantly, she wasn't a, uh, you know, fucking pedo. Allegedly. And second, her music is superior to that of the other Jacksons. Yeah, I said it. Janet was better than Michael. And while I respect and enjoy Michael's early work, his later efforts were pale <laughs> imitations and Janet innovative throughout her musical career. And also, again, you know, Janet never touched the kids. By 2004, Janet Jackson was on the backside of her imperial era, and she was still, certainly still making great music, but she'd ebbed from her high point in the mid-1990s. Her 2001 All For You had gone platinum, and her videos were still a mainstay in the waning days of the station actually playing music videos. But the new acts were kind of overshadowing her. The halftime show appearance in 2004 was intended to ramp up attention for her newest album, Demita Joe, which was scheduled for release in April of that year. And Janet was the star of the show, but she got very little stage time by herself. She only did about 40 seconds of her song, All For You, when Sean, Puff Daddy, Puffy, P. Diddy, whatever the fuck Sean Combs was calling himself that week, came on stage as well. And he was joined by Nellie and Murphy Lee, who came on stage in a golf cart with spinning rims. Twist the style at the time. Yeah, you have no idea. There was a <laughs> there was a drop I was going to play by Chris Rock, but it contained a word that a white podcaster shouldn't even play in a drop. Now, you might think this is the point that the whole thing went off the rails, but no, because then Kid Rock took the stage where he performed one of the most inexplicable fucking songs ever created. A song whose actual lyrics read, Ba diddy ba, da bang, da bang, diggy, 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 said the boogie, said up, jump the boogie. Repeated ad nauseum for far longer than any reasonable person would repeat this side of a string of gibberish in a post stroke induced aphasia. Not only after Kid Rock had performed not only this, but Cowboy wearing, I might point out, an American flag poncho. Which, you know, is not exactly as Walter Sobchak would say. That ain't legal either. But hey, it's all good when you love America as much as Kid Rock allegedly loves America. Did Janet finally retake the stage for the finale of the halftime show? She did a few seconds of Rhythm Nations, and then she was joined on the stage by former NSYNC frontman and current solo artist of the moment, Justin Timberlake. You know. For the kids. <laughs> and the two began performing Timberlake's hit, Rock Your Body. And then that's when 
it happened. He took it out. Justin reached across Janet's body, grasped the fabric cover over Janet's right breast, and tugged, exposing said breast, replete with an ornate nipple adornment, so that around 90 million Americans at the time, who were not taking a piss or refilling their nacho plate, as most people do during the halftime show, kind of saw a bare breast for about half a second before the camera cut away. Rolling Stone in 2014 discussed the play-by-play, quote, the video can be rewatched frame by frame and scrutinized like the Zapruder film. There wasn't much choreography leading up to the moment. Jackson just follows Timberlake around the stage while he sings Rock Your Body. They briefly dance together as they make their way towards center stage for the grand finale. Throughout the performance, Timberlake's moves were fluid as if they'd been rehearsed a million times. However, on the closing, Bet'll Have You Naked, you see his approach to Jackson's bustier is stilted and unsure. Although a natural righty, he watches as his left hand makes the crucial grab towards Jackson's wardrobe and pulls on the cue by the end of this song. For nine sixteenths of a second, millions of viewers see Janet's bare breast and its strange star-shaped nipple shield before Jackson realizes what has happened and covers herself up. Timberlake and red lace in his left hand looks appalled as the producers cut away to a distant long shot and firework displays. February 1st, 2004, after the game, the world waits for some kind of post-game response from Jackson, but the singer immediately flew out of Houston following her performance and before the Super Bowl had even ended. Jackson's spokesperson called the reveal a wardrobe a malfunction of the wardrobe. It was not intentional. Timberlake was supposed to pull away the bustier and leave the red lace bra, which was visibly in Timberlake's hands following the pull. Jackson also admits that neither MTV nor CBS had any role in previous or previous knowledge in the incident, saying Timberlake's ripping of the wardrobe was a late addition in their final rehearsal, unquote. Now, Americans being filled with Americans began to complain. Lascivious, salacious, outrageous. By the next morning, some 200,000 angry viewers had flooded the Federal Communications Commissions with complaints about the less than 0.5 seconds of titty they were forced to witness. Think of the children. Won't somebody please think of the children? Now I want to point out something here. About 2004, high-speed internet connections were in 42% of American homes, and 61% of all homes had some form of internet connection. I tell you this to reliably inform you that any child who wished to see some titty had easy access to them and in far more detail and duration than the blinking you missed exposure of Janet's boobs. Furthermore, in the unlikely accidental child exposure, the reaction by most of the children who did pay attention would be something along the lines of, That was awesome! awesome. Gradually, the parties involved began to respond to the, to the incident. Officially, uh, What had happened was... Unbeknownst to MTV, who produced the show, CBS Viacom, the network airing the Super Bowl, and the parent company of MTV, the National Football League, and of course, AOL, the innocent sponsor of the halftime show, they were not informed. Also not informed were... The Queen, the Vatican, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders before he went tets up. Janet and Justin just planned a little surprise choreography to add a little zest to the show and you see justin was only supposed to rip off a single person single portion of janet's bodice to reveal her red lace bra underneath leaving america safe from exposure to a portion of anatomy possessed by fully half the population and the half not possessing anatomy spent a good portion of their time in life wanting to get a better look at except of course for our male gay friends who 
while not averse to them particularly, they're not also all that interested in seeing them. And if anyone deserves an apology, it should be the gay men. Except I cannot imagine there were large numbers of gay men actually watching the Super Bowl, unless, of course, they tuned in to specifically see Janet and or Justin. No matter. Sorry, dudes. You didn't sign up for TD and you got it anyway. What was I talking about? Oh, right. At no time was it intended that the actual boobage would make it onto the airwaves. Allegedly. That's when the groveling started. Quoting now from an article on digitalspy.com, quote, The apologies came shortly afterwards. From MTV, the tearing of Janet Jackson's costume was unrehearsed, unplanned, and completely unintentional, and was inconsistent with assurances we had about the content of the performance. MTV regrets this incident occurred, and we apologize to anyone who was offended by it. And from CBS, we attended all the rehearsals throughout the week, and there was no indication that any such thing would happen. The moment did not conform to CBS's broadcast standards, and we would like to apologize to anyone who was offended. From Justin Timberlake, I am sorry that anyone was offended by the wardrobe malfunction during the halftime performance of the Super Bowl. It was not intentional and is regrettable. The NFL reacted swiftly. The, league, the league's executive vice president, Joe Brown, said, We are extremely disappointed by the elements of the MTV-produced halftime show. They were totally inconsistent with the assurance that our office was given about the show. It is unlikely that MTV will produce another Super Bowl halftime. And NFL Commissioner Tall Tagliabue said that a policy change, a policy change would be implemented to future halftime shows. We are extremely disappointed by the MTV-produced halftime show. It was totally inconsistent with the assurances our office was given about the content of the show. The show was offensive, inappropriate, and embarrassing to us and our fans. We will change our policy and people and processes for managing the halftime entertainment in the future, unquote. And then there was this from Janet, as quoted from a 2004 CNN article. Quote, the decision to have a costume reveal at the end of my halftime show performance was made after the final rehearsal, Jackson said in a statement. MTV was completely unaware of it. It was not my intention that it go as far as it did. I apologize to anyone offended, including the audience, MTV, CBS, and the NFL, unquote. The blame for the so-called wardrobe malfunction fell squarely on Janet Jackson. I guess it was because it was her boob that America thought they saw. Les Moonves of CBS laid the blame fully at Jackson's teat. Really, Dave? I apologize for nothing. And blacklisted her from any sort of CBS or CBS-affiliated perform affiliated performances for years afterward. Timberlake escaped any kind of recrimination from either the viewing public, the press, or the powers that be. He even told Access Hollywood shortly after the malfunction, Hey man, we love giving you all something to talk about. It was up to Janet to bear the responsibility for the boob, and she would pay the price, just not in not just in public embarrassment. A USA Today article listed all the ways that she was blacklisted in a 2004 article. Quote, she has paid a price. She was dropped from a Grammy Awards tribute to the stroke-stricken Luther Vandross. She withdrew from a TV biography in which she would have had starred as Lena Horne after, the, after Horne objected. Walt Disney World removed a statue of Mickey Mouse dressed in Jackson's Rhythm Nation garb that had been part of the celebration of the Mouse's 75th anniversary. Just going to take a moment to pause to think about Mickey Mouse dressed in Janet Jackson's clothes, which tended towards leather and sex 
and then move right along. Going back to the USA Today article. The fallout also cast a pall of uncertainty over how albums reception. Frequent firestorms of publicity have coincided with a sharp downturn in sales of Brother Michael's albums. <laughs> I mean, in Michael's case, it was mostly about the kid touching. Again, back to USA Today. It is truly embarrassing for me to know that at 90 million, actually 140 million, USA Today, USA Today had to make sure they put that in there, saw my breast, and then see it blown up on the internet through the size of a computer screen, she says. But there are much worse things in the world, and for this to be such a focus, I don't understand, unquote. But hey, don't worry. Justin would go on to apologize for his marginal part in the fracas. I mean, it took four years, and it was at best a tepid response. But hey, he did apologize. Sort of. And quoting now from Billboard.com, quote, in 2006... Finally, Justin issued a formal apology of sorts on MTV while promoting his album, Future Sex Love Sounds. In my honest opinion, now I could have handled it better, Timberlake said of the incident. I'm part of a community, community that considers themselves artists. And if there was something I could have done in her defense that was more than I realized then, I would have. But the other half of me was like, wow, we still haven't found the weapons of mass destruction and everybody cares about this. Yeah, Justin, funny how that happens. It's called Weapons of Mass Distraction, and you played a major part in it. But obviously, you know, you couldn't admit that on television. Adding, I probably got 10% of the blame, and that says something about society, and I think that America's harsher on women, and I think that America is, you know, unfairly harsh on ethnic people. Thanks, I guess. Yeah. The fallout from the point of the, the 0.5 seconds of boobage continued for months and years. The FCC fined CBS and promptly declared the incident indecent. In an incident that was almost certainly a political move pushed by the Bush administration, who were again looking for anything to distract the American people from its abject failures in the Middle East. The broadcast delay for live events was increased and expanded to prevent other accidents from hitting the airwaves and scripted shows were edited more carefully to limit any hint of nipple or ass crack it got so bad that the annual victoria's secret fashion show wasn't televised that year cbs was hit was hit by a half a million dollar fine from the fcc which cbs appealed and they took the decision all the way to the appeals court who pointed out that the fcc had never fined a station for fleeting nudity and the supreme court declined to take the case so they didn't get the fine the incident inspired howard stern with whom the fcc had fined numerous times to quit commercial radio and sign his contract with sirius xm but perhaps the biggest unintended consequence of nipplegate was changing how people watch things quoting now from a rolling stone article quote about a year after the spectacle in Silicon Valley, a trio of tech bros from PayPal were getting some dinner and discussing Janet Jackson's breasts. Like you do. Chad Hurley, 29, Stephen Sin, and Jawad, 28, and Jawad Kareem, 25, lamented on how tough it was to find any footage of this incident online. I should point out that it was not really, really hard to find it online. You just had to look off of yahoo.com but again i'm digressing in february 2004 
There was no such thing as a viral video. Even a moment as iconic as the nipple bounce was still a case. If you missed it, you missed it. And everybody was talking, blogging, and aiming about Janet and Justin. But if you skipped the Super Bowl and didn't bother to set your, VC, your TiVo or VCR, you had no chance to witness what all the fuss was about beyond edited clips on the news. The guys pondered how cool it would be to have an online site for people to share video of the Super Bowl snafu or the recent horrifying Indian Ocean tsunami. But, you know, they were mostly looking for the tits. And I thought it would be a good idea, Kareem said. A year later... They launched YouTube, unquote. Yep, pod friends, YouTube exists because people on the internet wanted to see half a second of Janet Jackson's tit. That's America. And that is the official story of the wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> of course, no one believed the official story. Anyone who watched the footage, rewinding it, playing it, rewinding it, playing it over and over and over again to see that glorious titty pop out like that for that half a second. Oh my God. All right, sorry, sorry. Anyone who closely viewed the footage will tell you the whole accidental boob discharge seems, how can I put this? Possible, but highly unlikely. For something that wasn't intended, it was pretty well choreographed, including the stance of both performers in the half second of visible nipple, which again, was covered by some sort of weird-ass nipple shield that covered the nipple entirely, except for the very similar. But even if you squint, the examination does not reveal much in the way of actual nipple exposure. And also, the story of the bra just, I don't know, accidentally coming off seems somewhat suspect. I am not a bra expert. I don't design or construct them, nor do I shop or wear said accoutrement on a regular basis. The only time I put one on is if I want to feel... I just want to feel pretty. However, I've spent a lot of time over the years trying to gain access to the contents of bras. But even in the roughest, most passionate bra removals, have I ever had the cup of a bra come away in my hand? Indeed, if I had, I strongly suspect the owner of said bra would be highly pissed because bras are not that cheap. The construction of a bra is designed to maintain structural integrity during a variety of movements and usually includes significant reinforcements to prevent it coming apart under stress, particularly the kind of bra that supports the breast of a better endowed person. The internet informs me that Janet Jackson is a 32C and I have no reason to doubt this information. And furthermore, the internet reforms, informs me that the weight of a 32C breast is equivalent of roughly a newborn polar bear cub or 18 pancakes. So are you making that up? I am not. I will include the link in the show notes. And in any case, the bra is going to hold at least that much, if not slightly more. Combined, combined stitching, straps, and underwear, underwire support. Janet was in a bustier, so they were being held up. You have to have a fairly substantial piece of clothing that's not just going to accidentally fall in such a way as to expose the boob in the manner in which said boob was exposed. Now, I hear you saying, Dave, 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 what about lingerie? Lingerie is pretty flimsy. And in my day, I have ripped away some lingerie. Well, now you're just bragging. 
But I'll tell you what happens when you rip it away, it breaks away entirely and it leaves the person breaking it away, holding the entirety of the garment, which Justin did not have in his hand. He had the plastic chest piece with the underlying garment attached to said piece. Look at the photos. It's this week's show art. You don't see rips. You don't see threads dangling, just the cup held lightly in his hand. That titty was intended to pop out. Unless you think I'm guessing, I present you an article from page six in 2022. Quote, the stylist who prepped Janet Jackson's look for her infamous 2004 Super Bowl appearance with Janet with Justin Timberlake tells page six that Timberlake pushed for the wardrobe malfunction in an attempt to outdo Britney Spears, Majana, and Christina Aguilera, who had wowed the world months earlier by scandalously kissing at the MTV Video Music Awards. Stylist Wayne Scott Lucas told, that, told us that Timberlake insisted on doing something bigger than their performance. He wanted a reveal. I wouldn't call it a wardrobe malfunction in a million years. It was the most functioning wardrobe in history. As a stylist, it did just what is intended to do, unquote. And if you can't trust a wardrobe stylist who is in the midst of writing a tell-all book in 2022 about the fashion industry to tell the truth, then by God, I don't know who you possibly fucking can. That is it for the show this week. Swear to God, I did not put extra bass in my voice in post-production. Just like a little head thing going on. But honestly, I think it worked for this week's topic. 20 years ago, man, the world was a different place. I, I think Usher is performing at the halftime show this year, so you can rest assured that you're not going to see some accidental dong pop out. Although, honestly, it, for true karma, it should pop out. It actually should be Justin Timberlake's dong, but I'm getting way off base here speaking of karma rate and review the show wherever you get your pods tell a friend tell an enemy tell that person sitting next to you on the subway it's good for the show and it's good for you kick us a dollar over at patreon.com slash what the hell podcast we use all that money to pay for pretty pretty things for me to wear around the studio much to gavin's horror do all the things jeremy tells you to do in the closing credits otherwise he won't let me do that poor that halftime show for the port chester peewee football championship next year and honestly, I really shouldn't be allowed to do that. And so for me, Dave, don't be so quick to walk away, Bledsoe. Producer, I want to rock your body. Please stay. Oh, God, this is filthy. Gavin and all the fictional wardrobe stylists on the show, we want to say, please, 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 don't be naked by the end of this podcast. And we'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Let's find something good on the radio.
Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.